we have been gradually progressing our way through the book of Romans. And this is our 20th message in the book of Romans. We're up to Romans chapter 12. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, or on your phones, or whatever you've got your Bible on. The danger of having your Bible on the phone is when a text message comes in, you answer it. I'm old-fashioned. I still like the pages. Romans chapter 12. We started our last message last time. We looked at verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read Romans chapter 11, verse 36, and then Romans 12, 1 and 2, just to give us some indication of where we've been for those of you who have been away like I've been away. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, we read, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And as we come into Romans chapter 12, there's a shift. Paul in Romans chapter 1 through to chapter 9, anyway, has been gradually progressing through what it means to be a Christian. What it means to have God in your life. How we can go about having God working in our lives. He, he covers the fact that we are broken. He covers the fact that we are in need of God. God isn't in need of us, we are in need of Him. Our hearts, our lives are broken, in a mess. And the only one who could fix it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and Paul goes to show that God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, that we could be healed and put to right. And he mentions the word righteousness over and over and over. And, and, and the word righteousness there is not a, not a moral term, it's not an action term, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a legal term. And it means being in the right. Before God, as we give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our hearts, God declares us to be in the right. And that is Paul's major theme through the book of Romans, that we are, before God, in the right. There's nothing separating us from God. Absolutely nothing. Even though we are still not a whole person when we become a Christian. You discover that yet? There's stuff in your life that's still there. There's problems that are still there. There are attitudes that are still there. There are things that go on in our lives. They're still there. They don't just go away just like that. That was the biggest shock I got, giving my life to the Lord, that the, still, the old nasty person was still, was still very much alive. And yet something had changed. I had a new relationship. A relationship with a God who declared me to be in the right. He had nothing against me. There was nothing between me and him any longer. I was declared in the right. And that's Paul's major theme through the book of Romans. And he develops that over and over and, go, and, and shows us many, many things. We, we haven't got time to go through it again. But in Romans chapter 12, there's a shift. 
He's moving now from our position before God. He's moving now from the, the relationship we have with God to a greater picture. The picture that he's really heading towards, aiming towards. The picture of a new people. The picture of a new creation. A people of God who are declared to be in the right. The people of God who have a relationship with God. But a people who now work with God in their lives to bring change in the world in which they live. You see, Christianity is not a me and God thing. Christianity is an us thing. It's all about God creating a new people for himself. A new people called the church. Jew and Gentile together becoming the church. The people that Jesus died for. And so there's a shift now in Romans 12. God, Paul begins to speak now about this people and how they're going to function. He begins to speak about, about how this church is going to become the, the people God wants us to be. How this church can be effective from Romans 12 onwards. And in Romans 12 verse 1 and 2, Paul begins by exhorting us to higher living. After all that Jesus has done for us, after all that God is, there's an obligation upon us. Now, we can take that as a, a law thing. Oh, I've got to do this. It's not a law thing. It's a heart thing. God, because what you have done for me, I want to respond like this to you. That's, that's the attitude that's coming through here. It's not you've got to do this. You've got to do this or you'll die sort of stuff. That's That's law. It's grace. God, because of what you've done for me, there's nothing too big that I can do. Lord, my life is laid down for you. And that's where Paul starts. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Lay down your life for him. It's a total commitment to serving Christ with all we have and all we are. Living sacrifices. Dave spoke about that before. And I put in the notes here, Christianity is not a holiday resort. <laughs> we treat it like that, don't we? You know, we come along to church and we, I, I want this to happen. You know, we have our want list. I want people to speak to me. I want the pastor to be nice to me. I want him to remember my name. But you're going to have a problem. I have a problem with names, so I'll, I'll forget it. But I, I, I want this, you know, I, I want this song. I want, I want this to happen. I, 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 I want to feel this. We have our, our want list. We sort of treat Christianity like a holiday resort. When, when I come, I want my needs met. See, a holiday resort is all about me. <laughs> Christianity is not about me. Christianity isn't a holiday resort. Christianity is signing up to be part of God's army. <laughs> and the quicker we learn that, the better. God knows we're part of his army. The devil knows you're part of his army, and he treats you accordingly. Our problem is we don't know we're part of his army. So we're sort of out there in the battlefield thinking it's a holiday resort. We've got our, our sun hat and our sunscreen and our deck chair and 
nice cool drink and we, we're just sort of relaxing there and a missile comes over and hits us in between the eyes. What, what is this? God says, well, you, you're in a war. And the devil sniggers and says, oh, they're in a war. But they think they're in a holiday camp. Folks, we have signed up to be part of God's army. We are in a spiritual war whether we like it or not. Paul talks about that in Ephesians. He says, you're in a battle. You are in a battle. And when we sign up by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives, we become part of that war. We're actually in it before we sign up. We just don't know it either. Romans 12 then continues with a commitment to transformation from within. So there's a laying down of our lives. And then Paul says the next response is to, is, is to be committed to change. And the transformation Paul likens to the metamorphosis of a caterpillar from one state to another. This is in verse 2. But that doesn't happen by accident. He said that's, it, this metamorphosis, this change, happens as we do two things. As we decide not to be conformed to what's going on around us, and as we do something about our thinking. I've discovered that nothing happens in my life accidentally. Nothing good. Nothing permanent. The things that are really good and really permanent in my life are intentional. Our holiday was intentional. We planned it. We planned to go to Waitomo Caves. If you've never been, go. Absolutely awesome. And the best cave is the cheapest. Little hint. Go to the Māori one, not the Pākehā one. Pākehā one charges you more. Pākehā one has lots of flashness. That's all super duper. But the Māori one's the best. Just a little hint. Anyway, we planned to go there. It was intentional. We booked. We set the date. I bought the tickets. We enjoyed it because we planned it. It was intentional. Every aspect of that trip was intentional. I intended to come back alive. So I drove carefully. In fact, I had to drive for some of the other drivers. You wouldn't believe the way people drive on our roads. 65 k's an hour and 100 k an hour road. For goodness sake. I had to intentionally hold myself in check because I wanted to live. You see, the good things that happen are intentional. And in our spiritual lives, nothing happens by accident either. Even our worship has to be intentional. We decide things. We decide to respond. We decide to open our hearts to God. We decide to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind, by dealing with our thinking. And that's what Paul is talking about in verse 2. But all of this life change, all of this laying down of our lives, all of this metamorphosis, this change from one state or another, is not about us still. 
It is a higher purpose. And this is where Paul now moves on to in verse 3 of chapter 12. This higher purpose is to change the world in which we live. We are intentional about our lives. We are intentional about our thinking. We are intentional about everything we do, about laying our lives down before God. Why? Because there's a world that needs changing. Christianity is not about you. It is not a holiday resort. It's an army. It's about the world that is lost. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, this is where we're moving into. For by the grace given to me, he says, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, are many, uh, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him give diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. What's Paul saying here? We are born to be. We are here to make a difference. The church is here to change the world, not here for ourselves. The normal, a normal church is a functioning church every day. And in this passage that we are reading in Romans 12, the function, to function well, we need to get a few things sorted. Paul says if the church is going to make a difference, it has to sort a few things out. If we are going to make a difference, we have to sort a few things out. Let's look at these one by one this morning. Verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober, sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. The first thing we need within ourselves and we need within the church is a right appreciation of who we are. He says, don't think of yourself too highly, but with sober judgment. In other words, think of yourself rightly. Think of yourself how God thinks of you. Now, having a right appreciation of ourselves involves two things. First of all, a right appreciation of who we are before God. And this is what Paul has covered in verses 1 to 8 of Romans. How God sees us. And most of us struggle because we don't see ourselves how God sees us. We don't understand what God thinks when he looks at us. So we look in the mirror and we say, oh, yuck. We think about ourselves and we go, oh, what a waste of space. You know, how can God do anything with me? But Paul says, think of yourselves as sober judgment. Think rightly about yourselves. What does God think of you? First of all, you're in the right. You're not in the wrong. If you have come to the Lord through the cross, God declares you to be righteous in the right. He doesn't hold anything against you. He hasn't got a long list of your wrongdoings that he's, that he's sort of going to beat you for. You're in the right. You're forgiven. 
When I was a young Christian, I was asking God to forgive me for the same things over and over and over and over again. So, oh, God, forgive me. And the next, God, forgive me. I'd already asked for forgiveness, but I kept asking. Why? Because I didn't believe he forgave me at all. It's a lie. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. Too many of us are carrying stains around of things from the past that God's already cleansed. It's over, people. It's done. What you were before God doesn't, it's, it's immaterial. He's cleansed you. We're set free. We're a child of God. This is the amazing part. We're an heir of God. Everything he has is ours. I can hear the doubt. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. The power of God resident within us. We're kings and priests. We are so much better than what we think. Think of yourselves as sober judgment. Think about yourself, how God thinks of you. You are better than what you think you are. You have a higher calling, a greater authority, so much power available to us. And yet we live defeated lives. True? We struggle. And yet the truth is that's not God's reality. It's time we begin to see ourselves as God sees us. And I think the, free, the, the most freeing thing for me as a Christian in my later years is I've begun to see myself as God sees me. And I'm not, making, I'm not apologizing for me all the time anymore. You know, I, I, sort of, I know we don't walk into God's presence. That's a really dumb thing to say because we're in his presence all the time. But, but when, in, in worship, I don't, I don't have to psych myself up. I just do it. I don't have to, I don't have to work things up anymore. I just, I just walk in God's presence all the time. I chat to him. And if I make a mistake, oh, God, I did it again. Sorry. And then move on. It's not flippant. It's just real. I'm not crawling over broken glass to make appeasement for my horribleness. I'm free. What a nice way to live. What an amazing way to live to just be able to walk through life knowing that God doesn't hold anything against me. I am free in Jesus' name. I don't have to come... You know, we, we've... Uh, as a pastor, I've, I've, we've had people come into church every now and again, oh, and we have communion, oh, I can't take communion, I'm, I've done something wrong. What a wrong way to think. It just takes a sorry. <laughs> God is not like a human being. He does not hold grudges. I know husbands and wives hold grudges. I know, I know you do something and you, you, your partner brings it up again. Or do you not like that? Anyone not like that? I'll pray for you, for your, for your lying spirit. 
We do, don't we? We hold grudge. We remember. Oh, I forgive, but don't you do it again because I'll remind you. <laughs> You're always doing something. What's that? I remember. I'm keeping a record. Do you know what? God doesn't do that. God will not come to you and say, you've done it again. He doesn't keep a record about you. Isn't that nice? This is how God works. Say, oh God, I've done it again. What? What have you done again? Oh, you know, this. No, I can't remember the last time you did it. As far as I'm concerned, it's the first. I forgave you. It's gone. You're free. That's how God thinks. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. To see ourselves any less is to be defeated. So we need a right appreciation of ourselves before God, but we also need a right appreciation of ourselves before others. And this is different. Paul says in chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 3, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? First of all, I've said, look, you're better than what you think. Now he says, don't think of yourself too highly. What's he saying here? We are better than what we think as far as God sees us, but as far as other people are concerned, don't get too big for your boots. You are no better than anybody else. And we often get like that with people, don't we? Oh, they do that. Oh, you I wouldn't do that. He said, don't, don't think of yourself. Just, just get real. You're all equal. In this room this morning, we are all equal. None of you are any better than anyone else. I'm not better than any one of you. We are equal. There are no super saints there are no favorites. God does not have favorites in his family. We are all equal. So Paul's saying, when you look at other people, they are the same as you. None of them are any better than you, and none of them are any worse than you. Before God, we're equal. And before one another, we're equal. The biggest danger in church life is we compare ourselves. We either compare, compare, compare ourselves favorably or unfavorably with other people. We either pull ourselves down because we're not as good as they are, or we lift ourselves up because we're better than they are. Both are wrong. We're equal. In Philippians 2, Paul talks about Christ's example. He says he didn't, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself like one of us, equal. He made himself a servant. He took on humanity. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. So he's saying two things here. He's saying have a right appreciation of yourself. See yourself as God sees you. You're better than, you're before God, you're better than what you think. But before other people, you're equal. You are not better than anybody else. Do you get it? You see, we're not going to be able to function until we get those two things sorted. Because both will trip us up. If you don't understand you are the same as everybody else, you will either be proud or you will be down. 
We're either one or the other. We either think everybody else is a scumbag and we're just super duper, or we think I'm a scumbag and everybody else is super duper. Both are wrong. We're all equal. All of us. Once again, I hear doubt in the room. Next thing we need is a clear understanding of our function, verses 4 to 8. <clears throat> Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, are, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. What's Paul saying? These are just examples. Paul says we are a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, he mentions the same thing. The church is like a body. Now think about your body for a minute. You know, just, just imagine yourself looking into a mirror. You've got a head and you've got ears and a nose and all that sort of stuff. You've got fingers, you've got arms, you've got elbows, you've got legs, you've got knees, you've got feet, you've got toes. All that stuff, you know, all, all joined together, all working brilliantly sometimes but designed to work perfectly. Isn't that right? You know, your brain says, pick up the book, and your hand just does it. And you don't even think about it. And yet you go through the mechanics of that. It's amazing. The joints, the ligaments, the bones, the muscles, all that stuff just working together to pick up a book. And Paul says the church is like that. We are all individuals. We all have gifts. We all have abilities. We all have things we can do. We all have talents. We all, all have something. And he says the church is designed so that those somethings should come together and work. Just imagine the ridiculous scenario of fingers walking across the stage. Just fingers. Can you imagine that with me? Just fingers hopping around. How ridiculous. What could a finger do on its own? Nothing. It needs the hand to make it work. It needs the wrist. It needs the arm. It needs the elbow. It needs the shoulder. It needs, it needs all those connections for it to actually do something on its own. It's just a hunk of flesh, right? That's how we try to work. No, I'm, I'm just me, you know. I just do my own thing. If you just do your own thing, you're just like a finger hopping around. In fact, you can't even hop. You're just there. Or a toe. A smelly, hairy toe. <laughs> and so imagine with me at the moment, the church sort of like a, a body chopped up into pieces and just spread all over the place. Just a mess of bits. That's what the church is like today, I reckon. But that's not the way it's meant to be. Paul says it's a body joined together, each bit doing its part, just beautifully connected, relying on the other bit. Oh, says the toe, I don't like the fingers. 
I'm going to be disconnected. Those, those fingers really annoy me. In fact, one of them didn't speak to me last week. I'm not going anymore. I'm not being part of that body anymore. Flop, 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 off goes the toe. Isn't that ridiculous? It's what we do. <laughs> Paul says the body, that the, the body of Christ is like a human body, beautifully, beautifully formed, beautifully connected, but it can only work when it's together. It can only work when it's a unit. It can only work when it's united. It can only work when it relies on the other bits. And the point he's making is we need each other to function. You can't go off and do your own thing and be successful. It doesn't work. We do it together. And Paul, Paul is saying here is God has so designed the body that all the bits are there. They just have to function. There's mouth bits. And there's nose bits. And there's arm bits. And there's, there's muscle bits. And there's, 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 there's noisy bits. And there's quiet bits. And there's, there's active bits. And there's passive bits. And there's, there's all the bits are there. That's why we're all different. And sometimes we come into church and say, oh, why aren't they like me? Imagine every bit of the body a toe. Toes out here, toes out there, toes out there, toes all over. That would be ridiculous. Every bit is different. You are different for a reason, and the person next to you is different for a reason. We all have our place. But we've got to recognize it and function in it for the body to be effective. So what's our role in all of this? First of all, our role is to recognize what bit we are. <laughs> what bit are you? Don't tell me. What bit are you? Secondly, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to energize that. See, half the time we're praying to be another bit. Oh, God, make me a singer. You can't sing for peanuts. He's not going to make you a singer. Oh, God, make me a dancer. And you can't, you've got no time. It's not going to happen. God, I want to be a drummer. Well, maybe you're not. God, I want to be a preacher. Imagine everybody preaching. No one would listen. We're all different bits. What bit are you? We need to recognize what bit we are, and then we need to allow the Holy Spirit to energize that. And lastly, we need to use it. That's what he's saying there. He says, whatever you bit are, whatever bit you are, use it. Verse 5, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, you're joined we have different gifts according to the grace given to us, so God's made us all different. If a man's gift is prophesying, then use it. If his gift is serving, use it. If it's teaching, use it. If it's encouraging, use it. If it's giving, do it. If it's contributing to the needs of others, do it. If it's leadership, do it. If it's showing mercy, do it. Whatever you are, do it. 
And often we say, oh God, why don't these people do something? You know, I'll often have someone come to me and say, why doesn't the church do something about this? Don't come to me because I'll tell you what I'm going to say to you. I'll say to you, do it. If you see it, do it. Well, the, the church, who's the church? We are. Yeah, you are. So if you see rubbish on the floor, what do you do? Write a letter. I feel that the cleaner is not doing their job properly. No. If you see something on the floor, pick it up. Do you know what I did when I came to church this morning? I cleaned up broken glass out in the, out in the thing there. Drove my car in and someone had smashed a beer bottle. Nice person. Hope it wasn't any of you. But that was going to cut somebody, and particularly my tyre. So I cleaned it up. You see something? Do it. Someone needs prayer? Pray for them. Ian started doing that, seeing people healed all over the place. You better, be, you better believe it. What's he doing? He's exercising what God's given him. He's doing it. The greatest tragedy... In the church is gifted people not functioning. It's toes just sitting on the carpet. Fingers on the carpet. Tongues just lying there. Elbows just sort of stacked up in the corner. Voices not speaking. People with a gift of hospitality not being hospitable. What's a gift of hospitality? You just like people. Well, if you like people, spend time with them. If you like, like having people for dinner, have them for dinner. Not eat them, invite them. <laughs> That's cannibalism. People with a gift of leadership or administration, not leading or organizing. People with a gift of teaching, not helping others to learn stuff. People with a prophetic leaning, not taking the time to actually hear from God at all. And not learning how to share it wisely with others. You know, we, we, we sort of take the gifts of the Spirit as a, as a church service thing. They're not. The gifts of the Spirit are a life thing. What gift has God given you? We are meant to be using it. Now, yes, we need to learn to use it wisely. We need to learn to, 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 to do it so we don't offend people with it. But we're meant to be using it. Otherwise, we're just a finger or a toe or a tongue or an ear. Just disconnected, just lying there. It's time to develop and use what we have in the church and the world around us. That's what Paul's saying. The body of Christ is designed to move. The body of Christ is designed to do something, not just to be. We're not designed to stay inside a church building and celebrate our churchness. You know, write books about how we got so churchy. 
send out DVDs and CDs about how you can become churchy too. How we can build the most glorious and beautiful looking churchy thing. Now we're meant to be out in the community doing stuff. That's what Paul's saying. We are meant to be the church in action. Doing stuff. Not writing books about doing stuff. Not talking about doing stuff. Doing stuff. Praying for the sick. If they want to be prayed for. Loving people. Sharing our lives with people. Inviting them into our homes. Sitting on the streets with them. Doing stuff. And the church becomes powerful as each of us discover what our gifts are and start to use them. Use them in the church and use them in the community. Then the church begins to make a difference. I don't think the devil is particularly upset about a church of 10,000 people that gathers together every Sunday, has a good show, and goes home, and that's it. I think the devil would be perfectly happy for us to grow to a million. Come along every Sunday, do our thing, and go home, and that's it. If that's what it is, we are powerless. We put on a good show like a fireworks display, but really we don't change the world. I think what upsets the devil is two or three people getting out, the, out in the community and starting to do stuff. It's sitting with the homeless, it's sitting with the lost, it's sitting with the unsaved, it's sitting with the sick, it's sitting with the dying, and it's ministering out of the love that God's given you. Then the devil gets upset because we're doing stuff. See, the body is designed to move, not to sit all the time. What we have is designed to be used seven days a week, not one and a half hours on a Sunday morning. The greatest gift that God gave the Chinese church was persecution because it drove them out of their nice, comfortable buildings where they played the church game and forced them into the community where they became the church active. The greatest gift, I'm not saying that's what he's going to do to us, by the way, but the greatest gift that God gave the early church was to bring persecution, so it drove them out of Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world where he told them to go in the first place. The church is designed to move. thing I learned very, on, very early on in my Christian life is that Christianity is not a hobby, it's a calling. The church is not on this earth to be a pretty ornament or an ancient relic. The church exists to change the world. Do you know what? There's more people in this room than God started with in the early church. There's more than 120 in here this morning. That's all they had on the day of Pentecost. They turned the world upside down. 
Why? Because they went out and did stuff. Now, some of them were driven out to do stuff, but they did stuff. So that means we've got to ask ourselves some very important questions, and this is where we're finishing this morning. And I want you to think with me. Don't answer to me. Think in your head. What are we good at? What are you good at? What? Could you play that song we sang last? I am who you say I am. Yeah. Have the musicians up too, because we're going to sing that in a minute. Uh, singers up as well. What do you sense a calling or attraction towards? I, I guarantee that within each one of our lives, there is a, a, a stirring. If, if the Spirit of God is working in us at all, there is a stirring or a calling or a, a, a drawing towards a certain group of people or a certain something. And what it does, what it tends to do is make you think, why doesn't the church do something about that? Well, actually, what the Spirit of God is really saying to you is, I want you to do something about that. That's what he's really saying. Is there something or some kinds of people that you have a distinct feeling or concern for? Are we submitting those things to the Holy Spirit? Or are we looking around for somebody else to do them? And fifthly, are we doing something about it? Are we using what we have for God? Or are we waiting for somebody else to do something? Are we waiting for Aaron to do it? Are we waiting for Dave to do it? Waiting for Annette to do it? Waiting for Linda to do it? Oh, why aren't they doing it? Because it's not their job. It's not their calling. You're noticing it because it's your calling. And we're going to sing this song in a minute. And I've got up here, now I'm going to, this is an off statement. You hearing me? Down by the lights here, which are dangerous pieces of our electronic equipment, and there's a plug that you will not touch. Do you understand me? Okay, got that. There are pieces of paper and a pen. As we sing this song, if God has been, not just now, but over recent times, speaking to you about who you are, about what you have, about any abilities you have, about needs you see. And you're beginning to see this morning that actually maybe that's something he's saying to you. It's not something Peter Tate should be doing, it's actually something you should be doing. It's not something you need permission to do, it's something that God is telling you to do. If that's the case, what I want you to do is I want you to come up very carefully, understanding that this is a dangerous piece of electrical equipment that you could hurt yourself with if you touch the wrong thing. You'll come and get this piece of paper. And I want you to write down on that piece of paper, don't put your name, it's between you and God. I want you to write down 
what God is talking to you about. Don't write an essay. God knows. Just, just a couple of words will do. And I want you to fold it up and it's going to lay it down here at the foot of the cross. Because this morning, I don't want us just to hear something. I just want, don't want us to agree with something in our heads. I want us to begin to take seriously what Paul is saying here in Romans, that it is the church's job to do something. That we all have gifts, we all have abilities, we all have a, an anointing on our lives for something. But unless we do something with it, it will remain an ear on the floor. But in cooperation with God's people, in, in cooperation with the team God would work around you, you will actually achieve something great for God. But it starts with recognizing this is God's calling to me. And you can start moving now. You don't have to wait for any particular time. I am who you say I am, God. God, you have called me to make a difference. You have called me to change the world in which I live. You have called me to, 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 to bring life into people's hearts. You have placed a gift within me. You have placed an ability within me. You have placed a concern within me. God, I want to do something with that. I don't want to die with just a concern. I want to die knowing I did my best to make that happen. And don't just write it down and leave it there. But go away this morning with a prayer in your heart. God, I want you to show me how to do that. Because I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And if I make a mistake and if I fail, doesn't matter. I'm going to do it again. Or I'm going to keep doing it until I get it right. 